how do you define living authentically? What does that mean to you? Mm, yeah, it's tricky because everything is touching everything. Everything is affecting everything. So I don't necessarily believe in, in blank canvases, but uh, to live authentic is to be true to oneself, right? Whatever the self is in that moment. To live authentically is to be as sovereign as possible, given that we are in these limited skin suits with these limited perspectives, right? What's uh, wrong? You know, they used to tell um, pregnant women that it's a good idea to smoke cigarettes for stress while you're pregnant, right? That was considered right at that time. Um, And so right and wrong is relative and just like uh, authenticity is. The question is, is are you, are, are those truly our thoughts which are informing our words and our actions and, you know, also informing our mood and the energy from which we live from. Is that yours? Right. One of the things I teach is there are four aspects of what it means to be human. We are biological beings, right? We are linguistic beings, which means we build worlds with language. We use language to describe feelings, right? Without the linguistics of door and doorknob, getting out of this room would be very challenging. But the moment I have these linguistics, it opens up worlds. Number three, we are social and historical beings Mm -hmm. born into beliefs and interpretations. So we have beliefs and interpretations based on church, based on primary caregivers, based on man who molested, based on Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. And so most people think, and the fourth one is we're quantum beings, but I'm gonna go back to number three. Most people think that, that who they are is who they are. And I often remind them through my coaching, that's not who you are, it's who you became, mm-hmm. right? That is a coping strategy. That is a mechanism that you figured out how to do. You became the cheerer upper because your parents were super depressed, right? You became invisible and shy and quiet because your household was dangerous. Mm-hmm. You became an out of the way kid um, because your parents were stressed out, right? There's, we, we cope and we do it so long and we wear the mask for so long that we think that's who we are, but it's truly not. Um, and so authenticity is as the, the level of sovereignty that we can possibly have in any given moment um, mixed with beingness, right? I, I don't really think we can miss. Um, and even when we're not being authentic, it's authentic to us given our level of awareness. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky question. Um, but it is, it is my life's work. I'll tell you that much is to, to have the level of honesty that my kids have, right. To, to be as present as they are when they can't get a toy or a cookie, you know, um, I'm gonna tell you, this is not a funny story, but it kind of is, uh, we were doing, we went to monster trucks. I took my son, my whole family to monster trucks and we were leaving early and there was a guy with his kid, his wife, and he was on crutches and he had one leg that was missing. And my son started like walking like him. And then he was like, that's weird. Where'd his leg go? And he's like screaming it <laughs> as loud as possible. Oh, oh my God. And the dude, the dude stops for a moment and he's like, it is weird, huh? And he like plays <laughs> along with it. And I was like, oh my God, dude, thank you for thank that. Thank you, right? Yeah, because it can go anyway. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, I love the authenticity of kids because they're just so they're just, you know, kids are I, I truly believe in the concept that like everybody's born truly good. You know, some people like, you know, I, I know that this is controversial because like you got like really fucked up people in this world. But I truly believe that we start out innately good, you know, that mm-hmm. people have good intentions, but our environment, different things in our life really shape us, including I'm a big person of epigenetics and that trauma can be passed down in our genes. And, yeah. you know, I think for a lot of people, they start to define themselves and label themselves based off their trauma. Like this mm-hmm. is this is not what I went through. This is who I am now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we need to draw the line and be very careful that you are not your trauma. Yes, you went through it. It's not your mm-hmm. fault that you went through it, but this doesn't define who you are. This doesn't become your identity. And yes. that's where I think we have to be very careful of that. So for people that are listening and maybe they've had past trauma, maybe they've gone through breakups or maybe they're going through something and they're trying to connect with their most authentic selves. They're trying to love and accept themselves. I know this is a loaded question and this is really, it's not a one size fits all, but where does someone even start to, mm. we, we hear these things on the internet, just love yourself, mm-hmm. just love yourself. Mm-hmm. I say it. Yes. You have to put yourself first. You have to love yourself. You have to embody self-love, but what does that mean? And how does mm-hmm. somebody even begin to cultivate mm-hmm. those qualities? Yes. So I'll give you, I guess what was considered an, an, an analogy or a metaphor. I'm not sure which one, but, um, there isn't anybody I've ever met that doesn't have trauma. So let's just, we'll just start with the baseline that everybody's experienced some level of trauma, whether it's shock trauma, developmental trauma, you know, acute trauma. There's, there's things right that, that occur in our lives, whether it's a a messed up pap smear or a sister who's the smart one and you're considered this, or, you know, your parents don't tell you they love you or your mom regretted or was, pissed that she had to breastfeed you and your body remembers the, 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 that thing, right? We all have trauma. So some of us, and I'll put myself in this, have been through a bit more than others. And which means oftentimes that our hypervigilance is a little more on point, right? We're scanning to make sure that never happens again. And in doing so, uh, sometimes we can create more drama and trauma and pain out of trying to protect ourselves from the very thing that we're creating. So the name of the game when it comes to like really uh, loving oneself and putting oneself first has to start with being regulated. And what I mean by regulated is, is if I'm in hypervigilance, which means I'm scanning for danger, I'm scanning for whether you are going to tell me you love me back or, you know, did you like that post on Instagram? And what does that mean? And you, you like women like that? Is that who you are? You're just like that kind of guy. Like the, it's the subtle ways in which I'm, I'm scanning for danger, right? right. If I'm in hypervigilance, that means that my amygdala has fired off and I am in fight, flight, freeze, or appease. And I am dysregulated. If I'm dysregulated, that means I have less oxygen going to my brain, right? All the energy and um, certain parts of my brain have shut down and I have a bunch of energy in my thighs and in my hands so I can run or fight back. And so putting oneself first, truly loving oneself would be moving your physiology 
like literally moving, right? If I'm experiencing anything that feels like it's too much, too soon, too fast, or too little, right? I move my actual body. If I'm sitting like this, I move like this. If I'm in this room, I go to the next room. If you can't do that, regardless, we have to return to breath. The breath has to go all the way into the bottom of our belly, right? Calm, deep breaths, re-regulating ourselves. Sometimes it takes 20 minutes. Sometimes it takes four hours. And sometimes it takes four days to get back to homeostasis. Wow. And so the game, right, using that metaphor or analogy, some of us are out at sea and we can see the shore, but the waves are crazy. And we've been doggy paddling for a while, right? People try to figure out relationships while at, at, out at sea. People try to make decisions about their lives while out at sea with no life raft. What I suggest is get to solid ground. Get yourself regulated. Get yourself in your joy space, your happy space. Get yourself to neutral before you make a decision about your relationships, where you make a decision about your career, before you make a decision about who and what you think you are. Most people are so traumatized and so living from that trauma body that they're making decisions from that space that don't mm. truly serve their higher self. So we manifest circumstances and, and, and an outward projection of how we feel internally. So when I say that, it was, you know, I think a lot of times people think, oh, like I can't manifest or like I'm not good at manifesting. It's like, no. When we really understand what manifestation really is, it's simply a process of creating in your external reality a result of what your thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. And so if you are feeling negative about yourself, if you're feeling unworthy, if you're not feeling confident, if you're feeling, um, you know, it, it, any sort of negative feeling toward yourself in some way, and that is the, the predominant feeling that you feel about yourself that manifests in the actions, right? So the thoughts that we have create the feelings that we have. The feelings drive our actions and our actions produce the results that we ultimately have in our life. So for me at that time, I mean, it's multi-layered, but it, it was, I was going to parties and, and drinking and doing the drugs and in the negative relationships, subconsciously reflecting back to me accepting the treatment that I thought I deserved. So the unworthiness that I felt was reflected in the way that that boyfriend that I allowed to be in my life treated me. I treated my body in the way that I felt about my body, which was not good, right? I treated mm -hmm. my body very poorly um, because I, I didn't want to be in my body. But I think there's so much nuance to this because I can say that now from this vantage point in which I sit as I've done this work on myself. But if someone is in the depths of their despair and in an abusive relationship, and I think I said this on Danny Morell's podcast as well, um, is I wouldn't say to someone like you created and manifested this in your entire life. When someone's in that psyche in that moment, I'm not going to tell them that you brought this on yourself. They're already in the mentality of beating themselves up. That's not mm -hmm. the point. When we understand the deeper layer and the spiritual component and really karmic cycle of all of this, we can start to have that conversation. But what I would say to someone that's going through this or in the depths of feeling unworthy right now in this moment is like, hey, like 
you've been through some shit, I'm sure, to get to this point and feel the way that you feel. And it's really valid. I mean, anybody, we, we do the best that we can with mm -hmm. what it is that we have at the time. I don't fault myself for any of those relationships or the drug abuse or any of that because I did the best I could with what I knew how at the moment. Right. And, and so I think having a lot of self-compassion and understanding for the self that is wanting to get their needs met in some way, wanting companionship, wanting, um, you know, to disassociate because it's too painful, wanting mm -hmm. to, for me, I wanted to be noticed. I wanted someone to see that something was wrong. So I acted out like there's so many, so much of what we do. We're not doing it because we're trying to create chaos in our lives. We're doing it because we're trying to get a need met in a way that might not necessarily be, um, the the best route to go about it, but it's mm -hmm. still coming from typically a, a deep place of desire and um, needing and needing some type of need to be met. And so, yeah, I think I think I would say anybody going through that right now is just like pause for a moment, allow yourself to get quiet enough to listen to your own inner voice, because typically when we're in that state, we're bulldozing through our emotions in some capacity to not feel them. If you get quiet enough to listen, what is the thing that you need to do? Is that separate yourself from a relationship or from a relationship with a drug or with alcohol? Is it to separate something? Get Give enough space, just enough, so that you can begin to, um, to hear the inner voice that wants, wants more for you and wants the best for you, um, and then start to do one small thing differently 1% differently, 1% better, and begin to count, um, to, to give yourself, celebrate yourself for these small little shifts rather than berating yourself for all the ways that you're doing it wrong and beginning mm -hmm. to like repattern that neural pathway. And over time, that's going to grow and to expand and, and really begin to help increasing your confidence. And one thing I loved about when I was looking at your book, which is called Well Lived, everyone, you guys got to go get this book. I'll link it for you. You share six actionable secrets to enjoying lives that are long, happy, and purpose-driven. So let's go, let's go over some of those. The first one you say, spend your energy wildly. What does that mean? Energy has to move. If energy isn't moving, it dies. If we have energy within us, which we do have, if we don't recognize that and we don't, we think we can uh, bank it or we can save it or we can do something and not use it, we're, we're really having trouble with what life's all about. In fact, if I, you know, I've had patients who have, um, I've told them for one reason or other that they've had, they really should go home and get some rest. And they've taken me uh, literally and gone home and gotten some rest, which meant to them they quit doing anything. In other words, if they, if they were going to rest, they, they didn't have anything to do. And they would just kind of let life go on. And by the, pretty soon they're stuck. And then what are they doing? They're doing nothing. And they come back and I have to explain to them that it, when I told them to, to go home and rest, that's doing something. 
It's not just cutting off all the juice and say, I have to bag this juice and I'll get, I'll get, you know, I'll get some, I'll get it back later. Uh-uh. It's like physical exercise. You know, if you don't exercise physically, uh, what are your poor muscles going to do? What are your joints going to do? What is it? What are your eyes going to do for crying out loud? Because when you exercise, all parts of your body are moving, and it's a it's a joint effort to stay alive. Uh, you, you know, either we can um, live our lives so that uh, we kind of expect when we get to be, I don't know what age, 60, something like that, to start to fade and then continue to fade. We'll just fade into whatever. Uh, I Wasn't it uh, one of uh, our forebearers in this country of ours said you, that he wanted to live his life until he died, you know? And that's mm-hmm. the way I feel about it. If I can, if I can't keep doing the things that I think are important and are exciting to me and really feed my juice, then I might just as well, you know, die. And I'm not ready to do that yet because I think that there, there's, well, for one thing, there's more life to be lived. So mm-hmm. I have a, a purpose to keep going, but one the purpose is to share the purpose with other people who may or may not have found their juice. And so it's sort of like if I have a flashlight on a dark path and I'm walking down that path and I can see as far as that path leads me one step at a time, and that's good. That's, you know, I can keep going that way. But as I'm going that way, if I'm actually looking at the path there may be a little flicker of light here or a little over there someplace and I realize that somebody else who I may not know is struggling along the path and their light is is getting kind of dim if I just shine my light over onto their light their light becomes great and they can go on and move so if we can see ourselves as all the time sharing our juice with other people, it's huge. It's not taking the flashlight and putting it in our pocket. It's using that light to enhance other people's life. Or maybe it's a little puppy dog that needs some juice. Or maybe it's a plant. All living things interact if there's life around you and there always is, it's going to be moving. And you, our privilege and our uh, joy is to reach those who are, having strugg- who are struggling with the uh, life process for them. I had this wonderful friend and patient who moved into... Uh, dementia and so he was you know he couldn't keep on going by himself and we got him a really nice home that he was staying in and and uh, but it was his own room and 
He just, he was there. And one day I took him a little plant and I said to him, now, James, this is your plant. And see, it, it, it needs to be taken care of. It needs to have water. And it needs to sit in the sunshine. You know, I explained to him. And so he, I didn't know whether he was taking it or not, but he, he was sitting there listening. But when I came in to see him a week later, he met me at the door and he said, come in, come in, magic, there's magic here. And I said, oh, really? And he took me, he said, see this box? And we went over to the wall where the uh, air conditioning box was. And he said, see, when I push this button, this, everything gets hot. And my plant doesn't like it. It gets sad. So I then can come back, though, and I can push this button and everything gets cold and the plant likes that. So it's magic. He said, it's a box. It's just got two buttons. And, you know, and he's going on. All of a sudden, life's movement and activity and everything activated something in him which had been dwindling and kind of getting less juicy as time went on. But that little plant, when he saw that and got the connection of what was happening, it relit the, the light within himself so that at least he had that. I was so happy. Spirit guides, I feel like we always have a few around us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of tapping into them. Uh, what I do tell people is if they do do work with spirit guides, um, to, to remind them they all don't look like Gandalf. Not everybody's 150 years old in a white robe, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, beard and whatnot. <laughs> but it's funny because people just do. just got that. <laughs> right? <laughs> Late to the game. Yeah, it's okay. Um, uh, but they will help us. And, and it's interesting is when I do go into guides with people, it ends up being very relevant. And they're all so different. Um, you know, some people I'll see they have a health guide. And that can be, you know, mm-hmm. a tall African-American man, in, you know, who passed in his 60s that was a doctor. Um, you could have, a, you know, a, a child guide that's more for your playfulness. Um or, you know, I had somebody come through that was genuinely a teacher and it turned out the person wanted to be a teacher and it was like they had a teacher mentor, you know, and every once in a while I'll see an animal. It's very rare, but occasionally mm-hmm. I'll see an animal as a, a spirit animal and I'll get spirit animals for people sometimes. I've never looked a single one up. I just trust what I mm-hmm. what I get. And people always tell me it makes sense. I got a rhino for somebody once in the email. I'm like, it made sense. I was like, that is badass. Interesting. <laughs> like, I thought I lost my mind on that one. But I always tell people it's always the craziest stuff I say that ends up, you know, making the most sense. Um, but they're around, but I know that, you know, there's one or two that'll stay with you, uh, forever. Uh, and then there's other ones that'll cycle through that can be there for, uh, anywhere from a few months to a few years, depending on, on what you need. It's just a matter of tapping into them. And from my understanding, it's never somebody you actually knew. 